6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 107 through 118. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. You are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. There's no way we can get our arms around that one. That's big stuff. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. Wow. Wow, wait a minute here. Apparently, God did not intend for us to live on the moon. He's given the earth to man. When man journeys to the moon, he is more or less on God's property. Okay, go there, but we ought to go there with a very delicate attitude. Now, the, 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 the raw distances in the galaxy are going to be barrier enough for us to wander, to, to, to wander too far. But interesting, the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. We, ought to, we, ought to, we might remember that. I haven't seen that used as an argument about NASA's budget, by the way. But the earth hath he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. That's a declaration of everlasting life right there. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah Psalms. Psalm 116. Now remember, this is a love song. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Well, what does that mean? Have you talked to him audibly? Do you confine your prayers to just a thought life? Or in the privacy of your player closet, do you, have you ever told him you love him? Audibly? Because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. That implies to me that there's a value in audible prayer. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. Wow. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. See, the sentence of death is upon us. But it became his sentence. He did not have to die. He laid down his life for you and me. No one took his life from him. He gave it. Key point, check it out. Do you love the Lord Jesus is the question. Don't need a show of hands. I want you to think about it. Do you love his person? Do you have a personal relationship with him to know him is to love him? You can't love him unless you know something about him. You can't know anything about him unless you get the word of God. If you get the word of God, you'll learn about him. The more you learn about him, the more you love him really. I mean, really. Is there any communication with him? Do you talk to him? 
Have you talked to him today? Has a day passed? You should never let a day pass without discussing it with him, both at the beginning and the end of each day. Is he really vital to you? That's what the psalmist is all about. We love him because he first loved us, John reminds us in his first epistle. Peter reminds us, whom we have not seen, we love. In whom, though we now see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Remember the Lord by the Sea of Galilee asked Peter, do you love me? Asked him that three times. In Revelation 1, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Realize that's real. And he speaks to the church at Philadelphia. I'll make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Don't be like the church at Ephesus in the first of the seven letters who had lost their first love. They're busy on the business of the king, but they're so busy on the business of the king they didn't have time for the king. Psalm 116, verse 4, Then called I upon the name of the Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious the Lord and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. <laughs> the Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. Return unto thy rest. You know, after you have a really difficult, frustrating, pressure-filled day, each of us need to seek out a quiet place where we can confess our sins before him, read the word, and talk with him. If you're not doing that, you're not taking advantage of the most powerful move you can make. Resorting into the sanctuary of the soul. It's the only way you'll be enabled to walk and face the world for God. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered thy soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believe, therefore have I spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. And whenever I say that, I notice all the women sort of nod in agreement. Yeah. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. In Gethsemane, he prayed that that cup would pass from him. His holy nature rebelled at the, the idea of being made sin on our behalf. But for the joy that set before him, he endured the cross. We're told in the book of Hebrews. And he took that cup joyfully that very next day on the cross. I will take the cup of salvation, he said. Continuing, O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. The only thing you and I have to give him is our thanksgiving. That's all he wants from us. His gratitude. There's nothing we have to give him that isn't his in the first place. Have you ever spent any time thanking him for his salvation? The extremes he went to so that you and I might live. That brought, us, that brought you to this point in time, right here now. Have you thanked him for this day? We should do that daily, every day. 
I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. And that's what Hebrews talks about too. The epistle of the Hebrews, chapter 13. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That's the most significant thing you can give him is your gratitude. And there's no greater frustration for a father than ingratitude. Rebellion or disobedience, he can punish. How do you punish ingratitude? That's a tough one. I can remember that so vividly. I was coming home. I had a little surprise for one of my children. All excited because I found this thing. And I thought it would be a big deal to bring it home as a surprise. I drive in the driveway. I get tipped off by Nan that this particular child was miserable that day. And I can remember feeling so crestfallen because it would be inappropriate then. I had to play the role of the father. I had to set that aside. But I sat in the driveway and it really hit me how frustrated I was. Because for misbehavior, I can deal with that. I can punish. I can administer some kind of appropriate punishment. How do I administer? How do I deal with ingratitude? I realized all I can do is feel pain. I can't deal with that directly. And as I thought about that, I realized how frustrated God must feel. When we're rebellious or disobedient, He can do things. Take us to the woodshed. If He loves us enough to straighten us out, sure. How does He deal with ingratitude? All we can do is grieve him. That, grieving the spirit. We know that you can't grieve someone who doesn't love you. So we know Jesus loves us. Obviously, he took the cross. The Father loves us because he endured all that. The, the Holy Spirit loves us because we're told not to grieve the spirit. You can't grieve someone who doesn't love you. Anyway, so be it. Psalm 117. This is the shortest psalm in the Bible. It's also the shortest chapter in the Bible. If you've got to memorize one, this is your, this is your baby. <laughs> But be careful, there's more here than looks, meets the eye. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. You notice the plural? This isn't Jewish. Alone. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. All the nations is talking. It must be prophetic, huh? For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Who are the us? Who's the us in the psalm? Israel. Israel. When will this be fulfilled? It's going to be fulfilled in Israel. Micah 7.20, Isaiah 54, 7 and 8, Acts 15. Let's take a look at the Acts 15 thing. In Acts 15, we have the famous Council of Jerusalem, where Peter and Paul argue about what does a Gentile have to do to be saved? And everybody studies recognize that big question was, what does a Gentile have to do to be saved? And both Paul and Peter argued before the council that Gentiles don't have to become Jewish to be saved. That was a big issue in those days. There were two big issues. One was obvious. The second is implied. Because if the Gentile doesn't have to become a Jew to be saved, what's to become of Israel? That was the implied question. And finally, James, who's the council leader apparently, he steps up and responds to all of this. After they had held their peace, James answers, men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. And he then is quoting from Amos 9 verse 11 it turns out. After this I will return and build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof and will set it up. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called saith the Lord who doeth all these things. 
What the council decides, of course, that a Gentile to be saved, all he has to do is stay away from things strangled and it doesn't talk about keeping the Sabbath day. It doesn't talk about keeping the law and the tradition just to uh, not worship idols, avoid fornication. So, um, but the other thing that he's dealing with here is the implied question, what's to come, become of Israel? He points out that the Gent after the Gentiles, that number's been called out, then I will return and build again the tabernacle of David. That's what, this is what Paul builds on in Romans 8, 9, and 11 in his epistle. So you need to, we need to be sensitive to that. Okay, last one for tonight. Psalm 118, okay? And uh, you know, it's a, this is the last of the Hallel Psalms. Don't confuse the Hallel Psalms, these Hallelujah Psalms, with the group that's going to follow later from 120 to 135 called the Songs of Degrees or the Song of Ascents. There are 15 of those. We'll deal with that then. The Hallel Psalm are the Hallelujah Psalms. There's six of those. They're sung at Passover and all the key feasts. But this is the last of them. And many believe that this is being the last one is the psalm the Lord sang with his disciples just before they left to go to Gethsemane. But that's speculation. They may have sung all six of them. But let's go on into it. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. Again, let may the house of Missler say, his mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. And the word distress is equivalent to being confined in a large place as being free and open. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? There are many military men that cling to this. Worst they can do is kill you. There are worst things that can happen to you. The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Remember that when you vote. You vote the best you can. But the, real, uh, the one you really trust is not the one you're voting for. It's for the Lord. I made that point when I was in New Zealand, by the way. I use 2 Chronicles 7.14 that I often use here in America. If my people are called by my name, do four things, I'll do three. If the people who call by my name, if my people who are called by my name, God says, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face. We know how to do that. Oh, and turn from their wicked ways. Then, apparently not until then, will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. And the point I made there, and I make that point here, is that you do not have to have the 51% of the country to be Christian for this to be a Christian nation. It'll never be a Christian nation. That's not the point. The revolution involved probably 1% or 2% of the population. It happened to be a very learned, sharp, brilliant group with a lot of prayer. And they crafted the documents and issued a heritage that was the envy of the world for two centuries. It wasn't a majority, but the ones that were his name had their act together, apparently. All that has to happen in America, we don't have to convert. That verse, if my people are called by my name is not addressed to the executives of Hollywood. It's not addressed to the people managing the prostitution, uh, prostitute media that we have. It's not the politicians, the Congress, the Senate, or the executive branch. 
That's addressed to the body of Christ. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. The sins that are in the way of God's purpose for this country is the sins within the body of Christ. If we get our act together, God is able. God is able to forgive our sin and heal our land. I made that kind of a speech in my early visit to Australia New Zealand that hit the front pages of Challenge Weekly and others and became the byword among the, the, the action that we need to focus on is us. Remember that comic strip? You know, I met the enemy and it's us. <laughs> it's the body of Christ that's the impediment to God, what God would prefer to do. And I do believe he'd prefer America to be a, continue to be a beachhead for the gospel to a hurting world. But what's in the way is us. I remembered of what Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi was asked, what's the biggest impediment to Christianity in India? And his answer was very simple. Christians. Christians. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compass me about. In the name of the Lord will I destroy them. Ooh, really? They compass me about. Yea, they compass me about. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They compass me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. Thou that thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord help me. The Lord is my strength and song. It is become my salvation. The voice of the rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. And what is at the right hand of the Lord? Jesus Christ. Remember the two names for the last tribe. Benoni, son of my sorrow. No, no, son of my right hand. He's both of them. Remember? Rachel named him one way, and Jacob said, no, he's the son of my right hand. Both names apply to our Messiah. I shall not die but live. I declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over to death. And obviously there's a reference here to his resurrection. But there's also something else here, and that's Israel is going to survive as a nation. Both are in view here. And in verse 18, he came back from the dead. But Ezekiel 37 also makes it clear that the graves will be opened and then he will bring out the nations of the world. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go unto them and I will praise the Lord, the gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. And then there's this familiar one. <laughs> Boy. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. Remember 1 Peter? This appears several times, but just pick one. 1 Peter 2. He writes, Wherefore is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious... But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. There's one of the many, many allusions to that verse. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Interesting. He's going to be a, a stone of stumbling. Well, this is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Boy, that's a famous quote. 
Have you ever heard of this is the day which the Lord hath made? We shall rejoice and be glad in it. People apply that to any day, and I would not disparage that. But actually, this is a reference to a specific day, the day of the triumphal entry, where Jesus presents himself as the king, and they quote this that way, Behold the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. And uh, Zechariah 9.9 being fulfilled on the exact day that Gabriel had predicted to Daniel 500 years earlier. And what's interesting about that, Jesus held them accountable to know that day. Luke 19 verse 44 points out that they were held accountable. That's why Jerusalem fell 38 years later. And then the final thing, save now. What's that in Hebrew? Hosanna. Hosanna, save now. Hosanna, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now thy prosperity. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord which hath showed his light. Bind the sacrifice with the cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And... uh, Verse 26 reminds us of Matthew 23, where Jesus weeps over the city. He says, Behold, now your house is left to you desolate. For I shall say unto you, Ye shall not see me henceforth until you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That's in Matthew 23, the last few, last few verses. That's also the one he quoted before the high priest at his trial, if I can call it a trial. God is the Lord which shows light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even under the horns of the altar. That's really an emblematic reference to the crucifixion itself. The Christ, cross on the, Christ on the cross. Well, in our next session, we're only going to take one psalm. So you might memorize it between now and the next time we meet. What's well, 176 verses among friends, right? It is an acrostic psalm. That should make it easy if you're going to memorize it in Hebrew. <laughs> And I'm being a little flippant here, obviously. But we will take one psalm next time. I think we can go through it lightly, but hit the highlights. It's 176 verses, but we'll just devote an evening to it. That's why we won't have a double session tonight, and we won't have a double session next night. We'll just have that one session, looking at psalm. And we'll just take one psalm next time. That's the good news, okay? After next time, we will be in the Songs of Degrees, 120 to 135. And they're usually likened by Hezekiah's steps and the sundial and all that. We'll deal with that when we get there. It's well known. Don't confuse the Song of Ascents with the Hallel Psalms, 15 to 1 and 6 of the other. But in any case, uh, we'll sort that out next time. But we're not that many sessions away from having completed, obviously, a very superficial survey of the Psalms. And what I encourage you to do is you go through the Psalms and you find one that strikes you, commit to memory. Get into it. it start, one of the things I've spared you, I've been doing a lot of historical reading, um, uh, a uh, commentary by Lockyer, L-O-K-Y-E-R, is an incredible tome on just the very famous people that embraced it. it. It goes through the Psalms as to, and recounts a lot of history that, of how important they were to various martyrs and kings and whatever, prominent people. Of, he was incredibly well-read on ancient history. And I've spared you that because most of us aren't enough aware of ancient history to really make make those references that meaningful. But it is interesting to realize how many of the great leaders of the past immersed themselves in the Psalms. They each had their favorites. 
And many of them had committed their favorites to memory. And there's a value there that you can't get by a superficial exposition of some of the references as we've gone through. Just to, I just tried to make them a little more familiar ground to you. The way to embrace the Psalms is take one at a time and immerse in it. Read it 20 or 30 times. Embrace it. And some of them will become your dearest possessions. They will become your most favorite portions of Scripture. Now, if you love the Scripture like I do, that, there's a lot of passages that are really precious. But the Psalms will eclipse those because they become very personal. They are your gateway to the presence of God. So with that, I look forward to seeing you next time. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we, we do stand in awe of you, and we stand in awe of your word as we recognize that these psalms are supernaturally inspired, that their phrases and allusions are intended for our learning, that we also, through the comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. We thank you, Father, for your closeness. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. And we do pray, Father, that you would continue to ignite a special appetite for your word that we too might grow. Grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of our Messiah. We just thank you, Father, for this time together. We pray, Father, that you'd make each of us a more effective steward of the time that we have available, of the opportunities that confront us. We, we pray, Father, you'd help us to be more effective at declaring your reputation as we commit ourselves without any reservation whatsoever into your hands. And indeed, in the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music